Welcome to Let's Talk Real Estate. I'm your host, Anna Olsisi, entrepreneur, realtor, and travel lover. Here's where I get to combine all of my passions into one and chat with guests worldwide about all things real estate. Join us for lighthearted banter, useful information, and the occasional outrageous anecdote. Interest, interest, and interest. It is what's sparking the most interest these days. Everybody's asking me about interest rates and what is going to happen and how those interest rates are going to affect their home purchases and their purchasing power. And so I decided to bring our expert, our loan and financial expert, Dan Coffey, back on the show because he is an incredible guest. He can probably explain it a lot better. Not probably. He can explain it a lot better than I can. And his many years in the industry, he has seen the ups and downs and the all arounds. So maybe bring us some comfort too while we're at it. So Dan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the invite. You're you're absolutely welcome. This is, I mean, uh, we were talking earlier that um, your episodes actually are the most downloaded. And I think that that's a testament to your expertise and the way that you have of explaining everything so thoroughly that um, buyers in every stage, whether they're first time or repeat buyers who are getting jumbo loans. You know, I think it's it's just really, really useful information. So, you know, without further ado, we're just going to jump right into it, if that's all right. Sure. Okay. Okay. So, like I said at the beginning, interest is what's sparking interest. Everybody's talking about it. Interest rates have spiked significantly yes. from just a few months ago. Yes. So can you just give us a little bit, touch on that, like where have they come from and where are they now? Sure. Uh, I would say that in the uh, earlier part of December, we were looking at three and a quarter Mm -hmm. percent interest rates, maybe even some threes. And right now on a conforming loan, that's a loan that goes up uh, in the 650 range in our market, we're looking at four and three quarters. Wow. And that's with really good credit. And I've actually seen some folks who are doing some of the 3% down version leak over mm-hmm. into the fives. So it is a wow. significant change in one sense. And I always want people to keep things in perspective. When we looked back at this period of time we've been through, it was abnormally low. Yes, and we became comfortable. We became so accustomed to it. Uh, but goodness, that was not the norm. What we're actually witnessing finally, is a correction in the market. Exactly. It has been, oh God, uh, almost 10 years that the, the government, in an effort to limit the pain uh, that folks were realizing out of the recession we had, the, the caused by the real estate collapse back in the 08, 09, 10, 12 range, we've seen the government try to limit the pain And in doing so, they've sort of had their thumb on some of the scales. And rather than um, necessarily allow the market to find its way and go higher, I think they really wanted to help out by keeping rates low. They did a number of things. Uh, But the short version of this is that late last fall, they really said, uh, we're going to 
take our thumb off the scale. We are staring at what we thought at the end of 2021 would be 2% inflation. We're looking at six and seven. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, just scared the crap out of them. They said, whoa, what's going to happen here? The Fed's... um, the Fed's job since 1979, and I've done this since 74, and 1979 was when they began trying to really help control interest rates and control inflation primarily. And they did that by uh, making it expensive to borrow money. That was the only thing that they had to fight inflation. So this past year, they were predicting 2% inflation. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking at this 6 and 7% that came in at the end of the year, and they said, uh-oh. We've got to do something about it. Um, So they talked about, they didn't do anything. They just talked Mm -hmm. about doing something and the market began to rise. This is sort of a perfect perfect storm because at the same time, they had been buying mortgages. They'd been supporting the mortgage industry for trillions of dollars over the last 10 years. Um, Purchasing, we do a mortgage here, we would sell it to Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae, would, that security would then be bought by the Fed. It no longer was going out into the private market, so the Fed said, sure, we'll, we'll buy off on these 25 and 3% because we want to help the housing market. And then we had the collision of the, in 2020, we had uh, the COVID collision. And then they were, because they were planning on letting the rates go higher, but then we had the COVID thing come in. So right. honestly, um, it's just been a perfect storm of, wanting to back out of buying mortgages, let the market take over, realizing they have to um, do something about inflation at the same time, um, and it's just collided. So we have seen rates move as quickly over the last two and a half months as I've seen them move in my career, except for that period of 1979 to 1982. Now, Again, keeping in perspective, back then it was 10, 12, 10% to 12% to 14. We're, in, we're talking about in the twos to the high fours. And goodness, rates are fantastic. People should run out today and buy a house. There's, this is not a restrictive thing. This is simply a correcting thing. And I think once people get their arms around that, I think it'll be, uh, they'll be able to deal with it more than thinking, oh, gee, they just went up. They need to think where they are. They're still up. Right, right. You know, and something that I've realized people didn't really consider too much, and that's just human nature. They saw the prices going up, up, up. They thought they would eventually start to go down, so they were waiting it out. And they said, I'm not going to overpay for a house now when I can pay for, you know, pay a lot less for it tomorrow. That has not happened. No. And, uh, and unfortunately, then the interest rates have gone up as a result, or not as a result, but they've gone up. And so as a result, their purchasing power now is so much less than if they had just, quote, overpaid for this house, which would have made their mortgage probably lower than what it is today. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. I've had those same discussions with folks um, every time someone talks about delaying for whatever reason. I have I've not seen it work out. I want to save five percent more for down payment. Yeah, but do you realize how long it's going to take to do that? And do you realize what's going to happen to the house price in the, in, in the interim? I don't see any kind of collapse coming. This is not that type of a market. We will probably see 
fewer multiple offers, which which Possibly. could scale down some of the um, appreciation rate. But I certainly don't see that we're going to have any kind of collapse in the values. Um, but I, I don't argue with folks um, if they have it in their mind. Um, sure. Then that's that's the way they feel. And yeah. A year from now, Will can talk and have the same conversation. <laughs> exactly. And I think you're probably having conversations with people now that you had with them about a year ago saying yes, kind of the same thing. And oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so am I. It's a little bit tough. You know, it's it's you know, a tough pill to swallow when, when they made that decision thinking that they were being financially responsible. And then it turns out that it actually hasn't been financially to their benefit. Now, one problem I'm finding is you know when you said multiple offers and all that my goodness okay so i put a i put a house on the market on um we'll say thursday morning this past thursday morning received 10 offers all i'd say most of them above asking price some of them considerably above asking price so that tells you what the demand is right now for yeah. housing at any and every price point, uh, it's really hard to find. So a lot of buyers are saying, well, you know, I am ready to buy right now. I just can't find anything. And I do feel bad for them, you know, on with that level of frustration, you know. So I don't know what they can do other than being, sometimes being cash offers or being incredibly strong conventional um, offers. That's that's tough. I, I, I see that. It is. Yeah, yeah. Every day I'm, t- I'm uh, every, it's funny because today, today's Monday, I had two folks or two couples who uh, lost offers over the weekend and very strong buyers, but it is, it's a very competitive marketplace. I've had some folks who um, had a home to sell and basically said, you know, I'm going to be the cash buyer. You just mentioned it. I've decided I'm going to be the cash buyer. I'm going to put my house on the market uh, yeah. because we don't see any abatement in the demand here in Gainesville. I just yeah. haven't seen it. Exactly. And it's in Gainesville. I mean, a lot of people are saying that some parts of the country are slowing down, and that's very likely true. I just hear with the growing university and the growing medical center and centers you know and just the growing biotech and tech it's just you know it's booming and all these neighborhoods that are under construction that's it we can't build them fast enough and exactly you know we've had a a fairly conservative approach to land management through the commission there may be some parts of the country that go katie by the door and just build 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 our community is not that way and it just it has limited the available supply and we're just going to continue to see a demand, I have no idea when it's going to be met. I talk to so many wonderful young folks, and everybody's young in my, you know, everybody's younger than me, I'm the oldest guy in the room. But um, people, young folks making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, which is wonderful. Great. Um, I mean, what, how wonderful is that? And yet they're struggling to find something that they can find in that, in that price range. We've actually, I've talked to folks two singles mm-hmm. who have met and decided the way that we're going to be able to do this is to buy together. And then yeah. we'll build individual, you know, equity nest eggs in the single purchase of this home. And um, they work things out with bedrooms and bathrooms and, and the whole thing. But um, wow. we're going to see a lot of creativity here. That's very interesting that you brought that up. I had um, 
I mean, I had heard of similar things happening, but how does that work then? You know, in term that seems very complicated and dangerous uh, well, scenario, there, you know. We, um, you combine everyone's income and everyone's assets. And they'll, sometimes one person has, brings more assets than the other. And I understand mm-hmm. where the danger can be because once you own, you own. And right. what I, we cannot have an equity sharing arrangement be a part of the contract. That's just, there's no way we can have it on there. But right. with, the, with the certain knowledge that they are going to codify that agreement that they have and record it so that down the road, there's no, you know, if one of them, heck, if one of them dies, what does their right. estate get? So there, it, it's important to define in those situations. I don't get into that with them. That's their, that's their business. Um, But it is simply a matter of combining income and assets. It's that simple. That's great. Well, I, like I said, that I hadn't really heard too much about that specific scenario, but I can imagine that's, you're going to start seeing much more of that in the coming years. Anna, I just had one where the the gentleman who's going to occupy has Mm -hmm. no income and no assets. And the other party who's not going to occupy is providing all the income and assets. It's a very unique situation and they are very good friends mm-hmm. uh, and they will, um, if they're smart, put on paper whose responsibilities are whose, but that it's uh, completely permissible, mm-hmm. uh, 5% down, conventional. Now, oh, FHA wow. doesn't allow it. You have to be a family member to be not occupying as a co-borrower. Okay, conventional, <laughs> you can have two totally unrelated parties, one living in it, one not living in it. Okay. It's, That's... I'm, I'm going far afield from our interest rate thing, but it is no. a way that people are dealing with um, the market, yes. generally speaking. Well, it's a way that they're dealing with the interest rate situation in a way, because if their purchase power is going down, then they have to find a creative solution for that. So that's very interesting. So I was talking to somebody the other day and I, I was talking about different types of loans and we we were talking about jumbo loans and how they have lower interest rates than all of the others. Oddly. I need to know why. Yeah, that is, is, it is, it is very odd. Um, I'm taxing my brain. I believe Fannie Mae's limit is six hundred and forty-seven thousand two hundred. Mm-hmm. Boy, I hope that's right. Well, uh, if, if it's it not, it's within a couple uh, hundred bucks. Uh, right. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to hold it to it. If you add a dollar, you no longer have a conforming loan. You have a non-conforming loan, and that means right. it must be purchased by a private investor. That's so. Anything above oh, that conforming okay. limit, we call jumbo, whether it's seven hundred thousand or seven million. Anything above the conforming limit we call jumbo. And those are private investor. And private investors uniquely, at this moment, I've always, always known that because there's less money of it, it's more expensive. And for whatever reason, we're in this little inverted yield curve right now where we're Mm -hmm. actually seeing um, non-conforming money come in about a quarter to three-eighths percent below what yeah. the norm, the Fannie Mae norm is. So now, before everybody decides to go that direction, there's also, <laughs> they limit the, they're very careful on how high the qualifying ratios may be. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of little gizmos when you have non-conforming money. That's um, we've seen them limit with uh, f- with 10% down, limit it to 40% debt to income ratio. Oh, okay. Um, with with 20% down, limit it to 43. So yes, we're seeing non-conforming jumbo money mm-hmm. offered at below rates because it's a good investment, but it's it's always going to have a little tighter underwriting. Um, they're going to try to stay within what the Dodd-Frank legislation calls a qualified mortgage, which limits it to 43% top ratio. Whereas mm-hmm. Fannie, we will see go to 45 or 50 with a really good credit profile and all. So yes, we are seeing that jumbo money come in oddly a little under. Now that could change next week, but that's where we are right now. Right. <laughs> Everything's changing daily, yes. really, I feel. So, of course, it can change by next week. But it, it probably, here's my wild, crazy guess, is that if you are getting that type of loan, then you're more likely to be able to pay it off, you know, and so you're less of a risk. So maybe that's why, you know, the private folks yes, are saying, yeah, okay, yeah. all right. They, but, they, have but high, if, they have tighter standards. Mm-hmm. And but that hasn't always been the case in terms of the interest rate. So that's what I'm saying. It's very right. interesting. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, and what? Yeah, <laughs> and we're yeah. actually seeing. I have two situations right now where people want to come in here and buy in the eight to nine hundred range, mm-hmm. but they own homes, and they don't want to write mm-hmm. non-contingent because they've right. already been burned with exactly oh, yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Somebody coming in and having a non-contingent. So. We're, we're really finding our, they're basically saying, is there a way that I can not have to sell my house, mm-hmm. use this jumbo money with tighter restrictions? It's interesting that we're, we're, we're trying to find ways to shoehorn some of those folks into being able to do a non-contingent contract so that they don't have to fight the multiple offers. And in doing so, we're kind of nudging right up to the edge of these qualifying ratios as close as we can get. Yeah, that is wild, you know, and I'm seeing you, I am seeing it left and right. So, you know, with these, with folks who don't want to sell, in fact, one over the weekend that I got, it was, it was that they, they ended up getting a loan just because they didn't want to sell the house that they have up in New York. Yeah. But once they do, I'm sure they can pay cash for this house, but they didn't want to have that sale contingency uh, in the background. So, um, you know, and and I'm seeing other people that some folks that I'm working with right now who haven't closed on the sale of their home and want to buy, but they've had to really slash their budget in order to do that because every time they're making offers, they have to go 30, 40, 50 over asking price, which blows my mind in Gainesville, but that's where we are. And so they they need to be able to, to pad it, you know, with, with some money that, that they have saved. Now, here's, here's a scenario that, that I encountered today. There, there's a young man who wants to buy his first home and he got qualified for up to 150, which sadly in this market right now, that really won't buy you a single family home with three bedrooms. It just won't. And so he said he could possibly go higher. He says, but I, well, I want to be able to put the 20% down. And I thought, why 
does he want to do that? He's, he's spoken to a lender, but not you. And uh, he, he's insisting on that. What benefit would he have in doing that? Uh, there is an old um, a, a perception of PMI. Mm-hmm. There is uh, the, mortgage private insurance. mortgage insurance, yeah. which has been around 1954. They started that mm-hmm. with magic. Uh, MGIC, we called it magic money, but well, <laughs> I wasn't doing business back then, but they still calling it magic money when I got in. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, you had to put 20% down to get a conventional loan. So PMI recreated for conventional loans what FHA had been doing for 20 years. They right. FHA proved, hey, it works. People pay a little bit of money. It goes into a pool in the event a lender has a problem and they have to foreclose and they lose money, then they can reach into the insurance pool. The lender is is paid, is made whole. So it's a way to reduce the risk without putting 20% down. But right up until about five years ago, the cost was simply, this is the premium with, if it's 5% down, here's the premium if it's 10, and here's the premium if it's 15. Just mm-hmm loan to value. That was the only factor. And it was uh, for 5% down, the factor basically added three quarter, the three quarters of a percent to the, to the rate. That was the mm-hmm. monthly impact that you would, that you would feel the same as if you were adding three quarter percent to the interest rate. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a 740 credit score, it'd be like adding 0.16 to the rate. Wow. In other words, with they they made it credit score sensitive. Yes, they base it on 5, 10, 15% down, but now the credit score overrules even those categories. So we are seeing PMI at one for somebody with good credit, one mm-hmm. third, three quarters, what it lower than it used to be. Really, really almost like the kind of couch cushion money for the PMI that people have been worried about. Now, on the flip side of that, if you have a 660 score or a 640 score getting a conventional loan, they took that point, that roughly three quarters of a percent, and mm-hmm. we've seen it go up as high as adding the equivalent of 2%. I mean, they really oh, okay. flipped it. But it is a reward for good credit. And if this gentleman has good credit, then most lenders... Um, when we price a loan, there's a, typically a button you can hit. We deal with six different PMI companies, and we can see across the board what they're charging. And it's it no longer is the expense that for several generations people perceived it to be. It's new. Right. PMI's new. Okay. Well, that that's great. He's de- he's going to be speaking with you because I'm gonna kind of make them do that <laughs> just to get you know a better idea of of everything and, and explore options it's um the the entire system is designed to allow people to shop when somebody if, if the other lender has pulled his credit and it was in the mm-hmm. la- and if it was in the last two to week two weeks two and a half mm-hmm. i'm going to see precisely the same scores the whole credit scoring system is designed for people to shop not be mm-hmm. stuck if they come to me first, they're not stuck with me. They could go to 50 different lenders in the next week and the scores would all be the same. That's designed that way. Mm-hmm. So then they could all give them the benefit of their information and their products and whatnot. Well, that's great. That's also a good 
piece of information because I think we've discussed it before on the podcast, but a yeah. lot of times it's important to reiterate that, you know, your credit score will be your credit score when it's when the lenders are are running it. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, I'm so scared. It's just going to go down by That's so happened. much. It's going to it's going to take a hit." And it, no. Twice today. <laughs> is this going to be a hard hit on my credit report? Yes, ma'am. It is. It's going to be roughly the equivalent of five or six points, but it'll recover in two to three months. And you can go out and just shop, shop your heart out, talk to every lender you want. And mm -hmm. that does that hit is not multiplied each time. So long as it's in the next two, three weeks. See, that's so. great. Everybody listen to that because that's important. That's yeah, I mean, very important to know. That's why you shop around for a lender uh, and find one that, that would work best for you, for your circumstance and everything. Now, in terms of, so we were talking about, okay, so you put 5% down, you do pay PMI, so, but it wouldn't, if you have that good credit, really not much very at minimal. all. In terms of the interest rate then for that, how does that vary 5, 10, 20% You want to know a secret? That's really kind of, and I'm going to have to drag you a little bit through the weeds here. The okay, cost please. of a 20%, okay, private mortgage insurance insures the loan down to 75%. By that I mean, if someone gets a 5% down policy, oh, excuse me, mm -hmm. if, yeah, they get put 5% down on the house. The PMI they purchase is actually 30%. Three, we are over-insuring the loan down below 80%, there is actually a larger P uh, Fannie Mae pricing hit to 20% down than there is to 10. Because huh. with 20% down, there's no PMI. The lender's right. at risk to ADLTV. Mm -hmm. Goes to foreclosure, and let's just say they sell it for 75% of market. Well, the lender's stuck with that 5%. Right. With private mortgage insurance, it's actually insured down to a 75% level. Oh. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's, it is a reason why when I'm looking at my pricing screens, it's actually, mm -hmm. it's not more expensive for 5% down than 20. Typically, it's actually a tiny bit less expensive. Huh. Where it really, where that falls apart is the 3% down. Because okay. for a first-time buyer, if one of your buyers is a first-timer, Mm -hmm. Then they can get Fannie Mae's 3% down. And that right. is running probably in the five and a half range right now. Okay. Yeah. So they, there's a premium on that. So mm -hmm. um, That's sad. You're a first-time buyer. And then it you're is. getting hit harder than if you're getting a jumbo loan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that was based upon my pricing very recently. Whenever there's, whenever the market doesn't know what's happening, and mm. I mean the people who are sort of in charge of interest rates, they mistake on the high side. Okay. If you're gonna, if you're wondering whether or not you as a lender are lending at a, at the correct rate, and you don't know, mm. and you're looking around and you don't see anybody who seems sure of themselves, you're gonna go high. You're mm. not gonna go low. You're not gonna make a mistake of making a whole lot of loans below market because you could lose a lot of money. We sure. may be in this period right now where there's such confusion, and I, that's seriously, there's confusion in the market that we see, we may be hanging on the high side of this. 
the biggest driver of what's going on here right now is the Fed. And they yeah. are predicting they are going to do anything they have to to kill inflation so that at the end of the yeah. year, they're predicting it'll be 2.7%. Now, we're running 7.8, 7.9 right now. And they are saying that they will, they have not, they just got done raising their Fed fund rate a quarter percent. Mm-hmm. That was in March. And the chairman of the Fed said a week later, this past Monday, we're going to do whatever we have to to kill inflation. And if that means we have to slow the economy, we will do it. And he said mm-hmm. it could very well be that for the first time since 2000, we will mm-hmm. start moving the rate up a half percent a shot. Not just a quarter, but a half percent. In other words, he is scaring the heck out of the, the market as to how high this could go. Yeah. And the market is not knowing how to react. So I think they're just, some people I think are just taking um, a safety approach in yeah. pricing high, at least I hope. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, Powell, so the yep. Fed chair, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was saying how he was, he is a big fan of Paul Volcker, who was the Fed chair for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know either, from 79 to 87. Yep. And he, he was appointed by Carter, but then Reagan reappointed him. So he served both, you know, Democrat and Republican administrations. And he came in at a time when things were not good, you know, or they, I wouldn't say they're similar to how they are now in that it was a different circumstance. But he did do a lot of very intense <laughs> extreme um, stuff to combat, you know, all of, you know, the inflation and everything. And so um, I've heard that Powell's not going to be as extreme, but do you think that it's it's going to get kind of ugly before it you gets better? You are extraordinarily well informed. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was there watching Paul Volcker. It's okay. funny because he decided the first thing he would do was measure money supply and, and every single, every Friday, we would wait for our teller rate machine, now this is the old time version of a computer, to tell us how much money there was in the system. And they started Mm -hmm. measuring M1 and M2, checking and savings accounts. And the very first time they did it, they came out and he started raising rates immediately. And then they come to find out that Citibank hadn't known how to put their money in. So they put their money in the system and uh, they were actually measuring how much money was in the United States system. And Mm -hmm. every week, if it was going high, they'd ratchet up that rate. That's why we finally got to 17% fixed rates and 21% car loan rates and whatnot. We're not going to see that. Powell doesn't need to do that. But he's, he has to do something about 7% inflation. He just has to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he probably will, because (laughs) Because he has to, uh, and all job. that. So, and and like I said earlier, I mean, it's a different circumstance than it was back then. Yep. So, you know, what I I was also I listen to podcasts. So I I not only have one, I listen to them as well. I'm a big fan. Well, you, and you definitely <laughs> heard that one. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it's just important to keep things in perspective. It is mm-hmm. easy. Oh, golly. Fear has driven our society so much for the last two to three years. We think in fearful terms. Okay, yes, we're seeing the rates rise. And hey, let's say that they go to five. Let's say they go to six. 
that would be what they were on average for like the 20 years before 2010 when the nuttiness happened. It would be, we'd simply be back to normal. So mm-hmm. it, that is, for us, we can, we can say, gee, isn't it a shame uh, mm-hmm. that we're no longer, we're, we're in a COVID epidemic, so we can have low rates. Well, sorry, that's, yeah. you don't want to wish for that. We, no. We're just getting a correction. And it may be a little bit, 2022 is going to be an interesting year. But it's simply going to be a corrective year. And then I think we'll be back on, on track. And in the meantime, yeah. people who who want to sit on the sidelines, God bless them. But if it were me, this there's too much opportunity here. There's mm-hmm. too much opportunity. This is not a time to sit on the sidelines. There's right. too much opportunity here. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to see rates go lower into the COVID recession rates again. Mm-hmm. We're still in great, great low rate territory. Sure. Yeah, no, we definitely are. And so even if they go, when I bought my house, it was at nine. <laughs> my first house, I mean, my first, my first house. Yeah, yeah. And this was you know, 20, whatever, four years ago, but still, you know, yep. it, and that really, in when you put it in perspective, it's not that long ago. I mean, no, because a lot not. of things, you know, went crazy. So, um, so yeah, we have to, we do have to keep that in mind. And really, you know, what's, what triggered a lot of this obviously was the COVID, the stimulus checks, everything. So, you know, we have to keep in mind that what triggered a lot of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the the COVID-related stimulus checks that went out and everything. And so that kind of changed everything that was going on in our economy. And that is what caused, you know, people to, to start buying, buying, buying. And then the supply chain and you know, all these different moving parts one um, of my favorite authors uh had this little saying you cannot repeal natural law and the e- the economy is a natural thing it has its own rules supply and demand and when you start messing with it if you start pouring too much money into this machine it's going to not work correctly and what we're seeing is the market try to correct some of the results of the manipulation well-intentioned though it may have been of course. It, it, we're now seeing some of the results of that. And mm-hmm. I know they were doing it to try to avoid pain for mm-hmm. the population, but we're having to pay to some degree for that. You know, it's either pay now or pay later type of thing. Right. You can't avoid paying, and that's the thing. You know, that's a it. lot of times we forget that, right? When, when things are, are a little bit easier, you know, you just eventually you have to pay the piper you know and we are in we're in uh rip off the band-aid stage at this point in time yeah we've just got to do it and we'll make it well We'll make, of course we'll make it. And, you know, some some of the good news, I guess, let's not be gloom and doom here, but some of the good news is that, you know, unemployment rate's low, so that's good. And, you know, we've, so people do have jobs. I know that I'm, I don't know if I'll get any flack for that because I know that not all the jobs are the best jobs, um, but we do have you know jobs out there, so that's that's a good thing. And with the interest rates not going astronomically high, uh, and with things like being able to put five percent down and still getting a great rate, it's a really good thing, you know, for potential home buyers. And it's actually a good thing for potential home sellers. And uh, we never really talk about the other side of the coin that much when we're talking about interest rates. But but right now, you know, sellers are going to want to sell 
before the interest rates do keep climbing temporarily. And then once they start, you know, coming back down, then I don't know if everything's going to be corrected by then. It'll be a more stable, you know, or more equal buyer seller market. But at the moment, you know, it's still, it still is a seller's market. And while there's that, you know, affordability factor, they should really consider selling if they're, going to do something different like relocate or you know or or downsize or or whatever because of course you know there's there's that it's like where do i go if i sell so um so yeah but i'm encouraging i think folks. all of us all of us who own a home have wondered mm-hmm. um geez should i sell and then you they realize everything is moving up so exactly. unless i'm going to go live in a small town in iowa right. although even out there everything you know we're not Probably. in it's everywhere Every yes. every place uh, we're looking at the same thing. I'd say people who are downsizing probably have the best options right now. You know, yeah. If you know, and with the aging population, maybe a lot of people are downsizing. So if you are listening to this and you are downsizing, <laughs> then talk to me. So because uh, absolutely, yeah. Because I think you know you you may not be able to purchase something that's going to be that much cheaper, but you will pocket something if you've got some equity in your house and. Um, and if you sell first, you'll be a cash buyer and you'll be first. Exactly. exactly. Not always, I will say. Here, I, in my professional, you know, experience, the cash buyer always doesn't win. And I think that that's also something to that's keep in mind. That's good to know. Yeah. I need to stay out of, I need to stay in my lane. I just, um, some of the folks, like I said, I've had two folks call me today and they lost over the yeah. weekend so it's it's just sure. uh it's sad but yeah. as long as you have the fortitude to keep going because ultimately yeah. each person's new home is out there and they're mm-hmm. going to get it just a matter of being striving every day one foot in front of another and let's make mm-hmm. another offer let's find another home and just keep at it and it'll happen yeah perfect i agree so i guess the, le- the takeaway today is that it's a great time to it's still a great time to buy a home absolutely and jump on it if if you're able to do that and willing to do that, it is the time to do that right now. And uh, you're not going to lose that opportunity, you know, a year from now, but it might just be a different financial circumstance for you. Yeah, That's ma'am. all. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, any other parting words or thoughts, Dan? No. Um, I love this business. Uh, it, this is, it's going to be an, 2022 is going to be a very interesting year, and uh, I'm going to learn a lot during this year. So that's my parting thoughts. We're all going to learn a lot. Yes. Well, we learn a lot from you. I learn a lot from you. So, and, you know, I know that the people who, the buyers who work with you learn a lot from you as well. So we really appreciate the wealth of information that comes from years and years of, because you've been through the Paul Volkers, and you've been through Ben Bernanke, and you've been through everybody. So, you know, you, you understand everything that's going on in the market and and can predict also so i think that that's also something you're nobody has a crystal ball <laughs> i i had a crystal ball i was with five other loan officers and in, in 1982 we uh had a party over at crescent uh, crescent beach maryland mm-hmm. and uh not crescent beach oh golly ocean city uh we buried it um and had a bonfire and I think we probably had some beer at the same, at the same time because all of us <laughs> were trying to predict what was going to happen and we gave up. So I, exactly. that I no longer do. 
So. Right, right. But, you know, you, there's there's also something that comes with experience that gives you I kind of perspective. That. And yeah. so, you know, you've, you've at least given us some perspective and some relief, I think, for a lot of people who are listening, you know, out there. Good. So, yes. Wonderful. All right. All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I know this takes you're time welcome. out of your, I know you're busy, so it takes time out of your busy schedule. I, I love, I love talking to you. I've, I've watched, you are just such an outstanding realtor and it's uh, oh, great to be a part you. of this. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, Dan, Dan did not benefit financially from that statement no. and we, <laughs> we just thank him for uh for everything and and i thank him for for the very kind words so um so yeah so if if you're interested in learning more about interest you can reach out to dan and also about the different types of loans and this great surprise on the five percent you know putting down five percent for your loan so these are all really really great things and now's the time to move on it uh, before you know things might change. So, uh, so Dan, thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. And I'm looking forward to uh, touching base with everyone again next month. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like what you hear and want to learn more about real estate and hear the occasional funny story, then hit that subscribe button right now. And if you know of someone who'd benefit from listening, and tell them to subscribe too, or else they may feel a little left out. For questions, topic suggestions, or nice comments, send an email to Anna at SegwayRE.com. We can also connect on Facebook at SegwayRE. Thanks for listening as we bring you a new way of doing real estate. Bye!